0: Church, thank you, worship teams. Good to see you all this morning. Um, we're going to dive in. Okay, we're continuing in a series that I've called Tough Truths. And uh, actually, today is probably less about a particular truth and more about a passage of Scripture. Uh, one of the things that uh, we're really, really passionate about here at Coastal is that you, on your own, are reading your Bible and are in the Word of God, and and that's a, maybe a regular part of your spiritual discipline. And so today... Uh, is a little bit of a, like how to read your Bible, because if you if you have done that, you've committed to that, you're doing that on a regular basis, if you're like me, you come across some passages of Scripture from time to time where you're like, man, that doesn't even make a whole lot of sense. Like, what do I do with that? And so today I want to kind of give you a how-to on a tough passage of Scripture. Does that make sense? And, and we're going to kind of walk through that. Uh, and so while you're doing that, there's a handout in your bulletin. I encourage you to get out and take some notes and, and uh, uh, open your Bible to John chapter 6. That's where we're going to park this morning. John chapter 6. And if you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. While you're doing that, I really want to encourage you, like Pastor Jeff said earlier, if you're not in a small group, it's not too late. We would love for you to join in one of our small groups and journey with us. If you're like, I don't even know how to do that, a real simple way would be on the side of the bulletin is a connect card. Okay, you can fill that out, drop that in the offering. But just say, hey, I want to be a part of a small group. Give us your contact information. And we'll get with you this week and get you plugged in. I've enjoyed my small group. Uh, Laura, have you been writing the icebreaker questions? Is that your job? Okay. So Laura writes the icebreaker question, I was a little bit frustrated with her this week because the first week of the small group was a Super Bowl question, and I'm kind of wondering why we've moved away from the Super Bowl so quickly, right? I mean, certainly that's a good icebreaker for all six weeks, I would think. Uh, But, you know, I got to learn my group's um, favorite sandwich this week, and I found out one of them was a fluff and sandwich. I have no idea what that is. And Somebody in the group said I could get a free bagel if I use that in the sermon. So there it is, okay? Um, free bagel. I am. Um one of the things that I do from time to time in my house around dinner time, and this is like kind of the weirdness of being in the pastor's home, is uh, we do Bible trivia, right? And I'll just kind of think up things that I think my kids would like to try to answer, and I throw them out there. And, and uh, so we had been doing this one night, and the kids were having a great time, and I was running out of questions, you know? So I started kind of going through the Bible, and so I thought of all the trivia questions I could think to ask out of Genesis, and then Exodus, and Le- no, we didn't do the numbers, and then Deuteronomy, Joshua, and then we got to Judges, right? I'm thinking of, you know, some Judges questions. And so for those of you who are not familiar with the book of Judges, what is the, the, the scenario in the book of Judges is the people of Israel, they're obeying God, God blesses them, and every so often they wander from God. And so God sends them into captivity with their enemies to help them repent and get right with him. And then when they repent, he raises up what's called a judge. And a judge would kind of help deliver them from the captivity of some of the surrounding nations, okay? And so, and so I kind of go through this. And so maybe you're hearing like, I don't even know any of the judges. So you'll know one, right? if I said to you, what is the strongest man in the Bible? Who is that? Samson, right? So that's one of the judges, one of the more famous judges God raised up to help deliver Israel. And and then I asked my kids about Gideon, another famous judge. Okay. So then I, I asked this, I said, this would be a trick question. I said, or a tougher question. I said, kids, I said, what is the most famous female judge, okay? So there's a real famous female judge. Her name is Deborah, okay? And God raised up this woman named Deborah and she helped lead the nation of Israel to freedom. And my son, who had not said a peep during any of the trivia, I don't think he knew any of them, you know, uh, he was so excited because he finally knew one and he yelled out, Judge Judy, right? And (laughs) Which was odd to me because I could never remember watching Judge Judy in my home. I'm like, when have we ever watched Judge Judy? Um, So... Yeah, we reward him. Way to go! You know what? Well done. And I wasn't sure to laugh or to cry at my poor parenting. Uh, it was one or the other. But but you know what makes that funny? Uh, a couple things. But but one is it, it's funny because of the context of the world we live in. I mean, like. That that wouldn't even be funny ten years from now because we wouldn't even know who that person is, right? Context in fact it's funny because humor often doesn't translate culturally. There's a lot of cultural things to humor that makes it funny or not funny and various time periods. And 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 so the the importance of context for that joke, and, and you guys get it, and you know, he he didn't get it, but we got it. And but ten years from now it might not be funny at all, or twenty years from now, or a generation, certainly not funny. And it has everything to do with context. And so this morning, we're going to open your Bible uh, to a passage of scripture that if we ripped it out of context, uh, it wouldn't make any sense to us. So we're going to read the passage, okay? And it's it's an uncomfortable passage. I'm telling you, as I'm reading it, you're going to be like, what? you know, what? You know, and that's why I said to Jeff, say, he said, what? Because this is the mouth of Jesus speaking here. And as I read this, every time when I rip it out, I like, "I cannot believe he said this. So watch this. We're going to read this passage of scripture. John chapter 6, verse 51, okay? Jesus said this. He said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my, what? What's he say? Flesh. By the way... Um, in, in Rome, when the nation of Rome began to persecute the early Christians, you want to know one of the accusations they threw at the early followers of Jesus Christ? Anybody know what they threw? They called them cannibals, right? Why would they do that? Well, probably the Lord's Supper, but texts like this, ready? So let's go on, verse 32. Then the people began arguing with each other. Now, this is this large crowd that Jesus is teaching here, okay? It says, then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. And so Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat my flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. I feel like we're reading the script of The Walking Dead. I mean, this is weird. Verse 57. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me, Will live because of me, and I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die, as your ancestors did, even though they ate from the manna, but will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogues of Capernaum. I want you to get this, verse sixty. Many of his disciples said this. This is hard to what understand. What is he talking about, right? How can anyone accept it now? Um, so now, now, so that's kind of ripping this passage out of its context, okay? And, when, and it's a pretty large teaching of Jesus. And, and even some of the real close followers at the time were going, I, what? You know, what is going on now? A couple things I want to uh, point out to you before we dive in here this morning, okay? Uh, or one main thing. One of the things I love about tough passages of the scripture is they actually encourage me that the Bible is the word of God. Now you say, why do you say that? Well, because if it was a man-written book, what would we do with anything difficult? Well, what we tend to do. We'd, make, we'd write it out, right? We'd make it easy to understand. We wouldn't, we wouldn't put anything in there and be the slightest bit controversial. And I think that the fact that there's some difficult passages in scripture reminds me that God gave it to us, and he wants us to wrestle with these passages intellectually, in our hearts, in our mind, and with our faith. And so this gives me some encouragement that there's some difficult passages here. Because if I wrote it, I wouldn't have put this in here, all right? I I'd to make it simple for people, all right? So the first thing I want you to see out of this, now let's step back a little bit. And remember last week, I I kind of brought a systematic theology up here, and I kind of made the point that God didn't give us a systematic theology. Remember that big, thick book? I said, but rather God gave us Jesus, and, and I kind of, uh, but I said, you know, there's some importance to the systematic theology, and today is one of those things where we have to step back and say, you know what? We have to see the context. It's important to put a structure or a little bit of a system around the Bible, because there's been a lot of horrific things done, Christians have done, because they've ripped verses out of context and not handled The word of God properly or appropriately, okay? And so let's just step back and see the broader context. Uh, The broader context of the Gospel of John is actually found in John chapter 20, verse 30, okay? John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. And this is really cool, actually. I'm going to, after Easter, uh, I'm going to be doing a, we're going to go as a church through the gospel of John. One of the things I love to do every year as a church is is just take one book of the Bible and we kind of journey through it uh, so that you guys are being exposed to the entirety of the scriptures, okay? I think that's very, very important for equipping you. And so here's the purpose of the gospel of John, okay? John chapter 20, verse 30 says, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. Isn't that kind of cool for a minute? I mean, think about that for a minute. the, The gospel of John, John is saying, there's a lot of other stuff Jesus did we haven't even told you about. You ever wonder what that is, right? I wonder what else he did that we don't know about, right? Verse 31. But these are written... So that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the what, church? The Messiah, okay? I've written these things so you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. And so... The John here is saying, listen, the reason I've recorded the events of this gospel is so that you two things. One, you'll understand that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the special one sent from God. He's the only one that, has, that, that can give us eternal life and that by believing in him. So I didn't just write these things so you can sit there and kind of intellectually process them. I've written these things so that you will believe that Jesus is the son of God and that by believing in him, you'll have life. And the Bible talks about two kinds of life. It talks about the abundant life and it talks about eternal life life. Those are the two kinds of life Jesus Christ gives you. That's the broader context, okay? And so now let's zoom into this story in John chapter 6, because this story is surrounded by unbelief. That's all that's going on in John chapter six is he's running around with this large crowd of people that do not believe he's the Messiah and haven't figured out that he's the one that gives life, real life, both abundant and eternal. And so we see this because there's two miracles that Jesus does here. And the first miracle is the feeding of the 5,000. Now, how many are familiar with that story? I would imagine a lot of you are familiar with the feeding of the 5,000. And and, uh, this actually gives us, John actually gives us a little bit of uh, interesting context Context into the feeding of the 5,000. So I want you to see this. John chapter 6, verse 1. Okay, again, this is an equipping sermon about how to read your Bible in context. Okay, so John chapter 6, verse 1 says this After this, okay, so as you're reading through your Bible on a regular basis and you come across that phrase, after this, you should be asking a question. What's the question you should ask? What? After what, right? And so uh, the after what is John chapter 5, where Jesus is beginning to teach on his divinity. And one of the things he says in John chapter five, he says, you think that the scriptures give life. Now let's go back two weeks where we started this ser- sermon series, okay? What, when, it, when you're reading your New Testament and you hear the word scriptures, what should be going through your mind? The Old Testament. So he says, you're reading through your Old Testament, you think the scriptures should give life, but what you've misunderstood is the scriptures were a signpost pointing to me. That's John chapter five. Okay, so there's this large crowd, and they start arguing, like, no, 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 we believe in Moses. And he's like, you've misunderstood. Moses would give testimony to me. You need to be following after me. I'm the one that gives you life. And so there's this really large crowd, okay? And and, and Jesus is already challenging their belief and their faith and their understanding. After this, it says, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went. Why were they... Following him? That's the question. You ready? Because they saw his what? Miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Now, I want you to get the context. This is not a people that believes that he's the Messiah. This is not the people that are believing on him to have abundant life and eternal life. This is a group of people that are interested in the magic show. That's what they're interested in. They're interested in, man, every time somebody's sick, we just go to him and they get better. Right? He just makes life easier. That's the Jesus that they're following. They're wondering, hey, Jesus, you know, I'm, my foot is hurting. Can you, I come to you and you make it feel better? Jesus, what can I get? What can I get? What can I get? By the way, we live in a culture, like, that's, that's kind of the culture we, that, uh, of churchgoers that we have. You know, we tend not to walk in with what can I give. We tend to walk, like, what do I get out of this? That's the Jesus we tend to want as well. Right? And so Jesus was working well for them. And so there's this large group, okay? And it's getting late at night. And so Jesus says to Philip, and it's in verse five, which I don't have in your notes, but it's in your Bible. Verse five, he says to Philip, he says, hey, where do you think we can go and get food for all these people? And I want you to see this. The feeding of the 5,000 was actually a test for his real disciples, the ones that were really bought into him. And so John John chapter 6, 6 says, so he said, where can we go get food? And it says, this. he was testing Philip for he already knew what? what what's it what he was going to do. This is just cool, by the way, for, for those of you who are following hard after Jesus Christ, you know what? He's going to call you to do some things sometimes that you can't do on your own strength. In fact, that's usually the case. He's going to call you to do some things where if you look at it in all practical ways, you're going to go like, um, I don't know. And the cool thing is the God that we worship, when he calls you to do something, he's sovereign and he already knows what he's going to do. Right, he's testing us. There's, there are places where we're going to be tested to say, "Are you? Have you really bought in?" And so you know the story, right? And what's interesting about the story of the feeding of 5,000 is uh, some other gospels let us know that it, it was actually 5,000 men. Okay. So that means there's women and children there. I mean, it could have been upwards of 10,000 or more. And so, you know, the story, right? Five loaves, two fish, you know, they feed everybody, take up 12 baskets full afterwards. I mean, there's just so much food it's overflowing. So everybody's now, their tummies are full and Jesus has fed them, you know, free food, free meal. This is great. Okay. And you got to remember, this is an agrarian culture where food is hard to come by. It's difficult. It's not like going to Walmart. Okay. So if someone's feeding you, this is a really a good gift, okay? It's a great miracle. And so, John chapter 16, verse 14, okay? When the people saw him do these miraculous things, they exclaimed, Surely he's a prophet that we've been expecting. And when Jesus saw that they were ready to do what? What's it say? Force him to be their what, church? Their king. Force him to be their king. He slipped away in the hills by himself. Now, ask yourself a question why did they want to force him to be the king? Free food, right? I mean it's kind of like the US government, hey, we'll take care of you from the womb to the tomb, right? And you you don't have to worry and we're not even gonna raise taxes, we'll just go on debt to make sure you're all taken care of, right? And that's politics and jokes aside, right? That's that's the perfect thing. A king that's gonna make sure we're fed all the time. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to trust for it. We don't have to pray for it, right? We don't have to give thanks for it. We just got a king who's going to make sure we're fed. This is a great king, and we can throw off the Roman government. This guy is awesome. He's going to take care of us, right? That's the Jesus they wanted. And notice here, Jesus didn't want any part of that. Because John says the purpose of his gospel is for you to understand he's the Messiah. He's the Son of God, and in him there's life, not free food, Okay? Then there's a second miracle, and I'll go a little more quickly through this. But the second miracle is the disciples, then after the, the 5,000 are fed, they go down by the edge of the water. They're waiting for Jesus. It says, the Sun sets. He's still not there. So they decide to go to the other side of the lake. A storm comes up, and Jesus starts to walk across the water. John chapter 16, verse 19. It says, Then so they had rowed three or four miles across this lake, when suddenly. They saw Jesus walking on the water towards the boat. They were terrified, but he called out to them, don't be afraid, I'm here. And then they were eager to let him in the boat. I bet, middle of the storm, here comes the guy walk across the water, let him in the boat, good idea. Okay, so they were eager to let him in the boat and immediately they arrived at their destination. There's a miracle, <laughs> got across the lake in the middle of the storm really fast, okay? The next morning, all these crowds who get up, they, they were across the water, they come back to where they got fed, they can't find Jesus, they go back to the other side of the lake. So it's like this going back and forth, looking for Jesus. And it is at this moment that Jesus, I don't know if he's weary of it or what, but he confronts their unbelief. Remember the gospel of John is about stirring belief and seeking and sifting those who actually believe. And so he confronts their unbelief. And so Jesus, he doesn't, ame- I want you to get the context of the story because he just doesn't get weird for weirdness sake. Okay. Okay. In John chapter 6 verse 26 says Jesus said, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. Do you hear that? I'm not the free food guy. If that's what, all that you think I am, you've missed the point. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For the Father has given you, given me his seal of approval. And they per- replied, we want the magic show. You hear it? We want to perform God's works too. What should we do? And Jesus said this. This is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. I want you to get this. I love Joey's story about his grandma because I think that's what a lot of us in American culture think. Like I'm gonna stand before God and um I'm you know, God, I was pretty good, didn't murder anybody, check, you know, did a couple nice things. We went to church a couple times and endured pastor on sermons, chat must be worth something, you know. Check, 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 check. What that fails to understand is the character of God, okay? The message of the gospel begins and ends in the person and work and character of our God. Is God a loving God? Yes. Is God a merciful God? Yes. Is he a gracious God? Yes. Is he a forgiving God? Yes. Yes. But if you think your good deeds are going to outweigh your bad deeds, what you fail to understand is God is also a holy God, and there will be no sin in his midst. And I'm going to tell you something, for a mess up like me, that's terrifying, because I know my thought life, and I don't want it played on the big screen for you guys, because I would be horrified, even as your pastor, right? And y'all can wipe your smug grins off, because I could play your thought life up there too, Right? And so he's a holy God, and he's a just God, and sin is going to be punished. And if that's my condition, it's horrifying. And he's a righteous God, and he demands 100% righteousness. Why? Because that's the place he's taking us that's going to be incredible in all eternity. And so, man, I'm in a horrifying condition as a sinner. And if you don't understand that side of God's character, you will never understand your need for grace alone if you think somehow you're good enough to add it up and you're going to stand there like Joey said on your own two feet before the character of God, it's a horrifying place to be. And that's why we sing, God, my one defense, my only defense in your place is your righteousness, credited to us by grace alone, through faith alone, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's why at Coastal Community Church, we lift him up because he's our only hope. And so Jesus here confronts their unbelief. If you think Jesus is just here to make you feel better, you've missed the point. It's more than he just makes you feel better. He's the savior. He's your only hope to eternal life. And so Jesus in this past, he's not, he's not trying to be gross here. He, what he's beginning to do is he's beginning to sift. And I'm going to sift some of you this morning with the word of God. And I'm gonna to be gonna to ask you some tough questions. are you here just because Jesus cause you can get And so I'm going to begin to sift. And so Jesus is not just being gross for gross sake because he's trying to teach these people, I'm the bread of life. If you want real life, you got to feast on who I am as a person, what I'm teaching you, my gospel message, your only hope. And so in John chapter six, verse 34, he says, they said, sir, give us this bread every day. They're still thinking materially, physically, they're not thinking spiritually, right? And Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty, but you haven't believed in me because you have, because you, uh, believed in me, though you have seen me. However, those the father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them for I've come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me not to do my own will. And this is the will of God that I shouldn't even lose one of those he has given me, but that I should raise them up on the last day for it, it is my father's will that all who see the son and believe in him should have eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. Jesus is sifting here. And he says, listen, if you want eternal life, it's found in me and me alone. And by the way, if you, if you, again, you know the context of John. You go back just two chapters to John chapter 4. Instead of using the illustration of the bread of life, Jesus talked about the water of life with the woman at the well. Remember, he said, you know, there's a water that I'm going to give that you'll never thirst again. She goes, give me this water. At that point, Jesus confronts her sin. He says, that's great. Do me a favor. Go get your husband. She says, I'm not married. He goes, that's right. You've been married five times, and the guy you're with right now is not your husband. Those are awkward moments at church, okay? And and so she's, he's, she's like, yeah, that's right. I'm Actually, I'm living in sin. And she repents and she goes and testifies to the Messiah, she understands, spiritually speaking. And if you go back one chapter before that, there's a conversation Jesus has with a guy by the name of Nicodemus in John chapter 3, right? And, and Nicodemus is kind of sneaking around at night because he knows there's a lot of pressure not to hang out with Jesus in the religious sex segments. And so he sneaks up to Jesus and says, you know, like, what do I need? It's obvious you, you do these miraculous things. You know, we love your magic show kind of thing. And so who are you? You're from God. God, right and he says yeah and Jesus says if you really want to know me you got to be born again and, G- and Nicodemus was like born again like you mean I got to go back into my mother's womb and once again Nicodemus is not thinking spiritually Jesus here's talking in spiritual terms and he says the work of the spirit is what takes a heart and transforms it to be born again And the woman at the well eventually got it. And Nicodemus eventually got it. But these people that are following, that have just been fed, these 10,000, this huge crowd, they're still not getting it. Check this out in verse 41 of John chapter 6. Then the people began to murmur in disagreement because they said, I'm the bread of life that came down from heaven? Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? I mean, we know his father and mother. How can he say I came down from heaven? many of y'all ever grew up in a small town right small town life. Like, like Jesus What you... we saw him in elementary school you know like, I remember when he was playing I changed his diaper in the nursery right what do you mean he came down from heaven right see that's what's going on like we know his parents now here's what's disgusting to me they're not even considering all the things they're seeing Jesus do. He just took five loaves and two fish, and he's healing the blind and the sick, and they're just passing that all aside, and they can't get past. Like we saw him grow up. And some of you, you're, in your pursuit of Jesus, you're stuck. Because you're choosing to look at the wrong thing or you're choosing to listen to the wrong people. You're hanging around with friends that are maybe telling you, oh, it's not that important. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus is the most important historical figure to ever set foot on planet Earth. And you better do some wrestling with who he really is. Because he ain't just Mary and Joseph's kids. That's part of the story that God wove in here. But, but man, it's far bigger than that. He's the son of God. John said, I wrote these things that you would believe that he's the Messiah that by believing in him, you would have eternal life. And so Jesus makes it clear they still don't have spiritual understanding. Stop complaining about what I said, verse 43. For no one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws them to me. And at the last day I will raise them up. You want to know what I love about that verse? If you're here this morning and you're wrestling with Jesus or you're already engaged with Jesus and Jesus is doing some great things in your heart and life, it's a spiritual thing. The God of the universe is working on your heart. That's incredible. Don't push that away. That's an incredible thing, that God would stir our hearts and draw us to his son, Jesus Christ. And so then, church, it is within this context that Jesus is trying to get these people to have a spiritual understanding. In John chapter 6, verse 56, that he says these weird things because he's trying to sift at this point. Those who really do and those who really don't. And so he says, anyone who eats my flesh... And drinks my blood remains in me and on him. And I live because the living Father who sent me in this sent me in the same way. Anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I'm the true bread that comes down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate from the manna from heaven. But they will live forever. Jesus here is sifting. And there's someone in this room here this morning, Jesus is sifting. I want to tell you something. Jesus isn't interested in crowds. Jesus could care less about crowds because this was the height of his popularity. Like, like if By the way, if you're are in a ministerial position where God is expanding your influence, never say weird things at the height of your popularity because that's what Jesus did. Hey, eat my flesh and drink my blood. You know, and when they didn't get it, he'd reiterate, "You got to eat my flesh and drink my blood." And everyone's like, "Whoa, you're getting weird here, right?" And the reason Jesus did that because he's sifting. He's not interested in crowds for crowd's sake. Now, do I think God cares about numbers? I do. And you know why? Because every number is a person, and I believe we serve in a God who cares deeply about people. That's why He sent His Son on planet Earth. But He's not interested in crowds for crowd's sake. In fact, John chapter six, verse sixty-six says this: At this point, <clears throat> and by the way, um, I, this verse—what I'm about to read to you—is the verse that has kept me in the faith. Actually, so that, this is how much this verse means to me. Uh, this verse makes a lot of sense to me, actually. And so Jesus said, I'll come unpack that in a minute. John chapter 6, verse 66 says, At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Jesus is sifting here. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and he asked them, Are you going to leave? And Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you're the Holy One of God. And here's why I love these verses. Jesus isn't interested in crowds. What he's interested in is in faith. And the reason I love these verses is this is my spiritual journey. It's not so much the declaration at the end. Of course it's that, but it's bigger than that. It's it's, It's the question that Peter is asking himself. He just said some really weird stuff. Like, we were really popular yesterday, you know, over there when he was feeding everybody. Things have gotten kind of weird today. And everyone's kind of walking away disappointed. And Peter says, I, when I really think about it. Where, where else am I going to go? And I love that question because I'm going to ask that question to you. How's the American dream treating you? Are you going to pursue that with your life? right? You know, been married for a few years, and man, it didn't quite turn out the way I had thought. And the economy, then the degree I just got, and on and on the list goes, man. If you place your hopes in those idols, they will leave you starving. Oh, and for the philosophical types, right? I know you guys too, the philosophical types, like, well, what about all the other religions, okay? I would encourage you, if that's really a genuine question of yours, I, you need to do some homework. Don't use that as a cop-out to run away from Jesus Christ. If that's really your question, you, need to, you better investigate Hinduism and Buddhism and atheism, okay, and Islam. You better really do some homework and then ask the question, where else am I going to go? I am going to tell you something. I'll give you a little bit of an answer. Only Christianity gives any answer to the problem of evil, really. Okay? Only Christianity gives an answer to the problem of sin okay? and brokenness. Only Christianity gives an answer to what happens in the life after this one and how I know that I know that I can stand in the presence of God and have eternal life. And it surely isn't your good works so are going to outweigh your bad work. My one defense when I stand before the God of the universe is going to be the righteousness of Christ because the Bible tells me so. By grace through faith, I get to stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Because if I hold up Sean Brown and God begins to replay the conversation with his kids, that could get awkward real fast. And I love this verse because when my faith gets rattled, I start to think and I start to maybe wanna wander and I go, God, where else am I gonna go? Because I've done some of the other stuff and it surely left me empty. And it surely left me wanting. And one of the things I hate is when people say, well, you just have blind faith. You just have blind faith. No, I don't have blind faith. I'm not asking anybody in this room to check your brain at the door and have blind faith. By the way, we live by faith all the time, don't we? I mean, we live by faith all day to day. You ever go to the doctor, right? I've gone to the doctor. Like, I go to the doctor. I, I can't even say his name, right, I, half the time. And I go there, and uh, there's all these degrees that he has in his office. When I go to the doctor, there's all these degrees he has in the office, and I ain't verified a one of them. Like, I don't know. You know, I'm just trusting they're good, right? Um, and then he... If I'm sick enough, he writes me a prescription that I can't even read, right? I don't even know what it... And I take it to the pharmacist, and he gives me a chemical that I have no idea what's in that chemical, right? And I start popping these chemicals based on what they told me to do, and I would say that's a journey of faith, wouldn't you? It's a journey of faith. I don't know anything about it. I know it makes me feel better when I take them, right? I hate when people say it's just blind faith. I would never ask you to take a leap of blind faith. I want you to hear this. This is important. Faith is taking information and revelation into account and drawing a reasonable conclusion. I want you to hear that again. Faith is taking information and revelation, drawing a reasonable conclusion. That's what faith is. I don't want you to check your brains at the door, and I don't want you to journey in blind faith. I want you to look at some of the facts. I've done this sermon a lot. I don't have time to unpack it all here this morning, right? But look around at created order. I don't know how you can do science and not be wowed by intelligent design. I mean... Whether it's the macro universe that's expanding and it's just gorgeous and it's, you know, we're getting Hubble telescope pictures and you're like, whoa, it's incredible. There's no possible way that just showed up. No possible way. In fact, I've given you some scientist statistics on the probability of it happening by chance. It's, it's incom- it takes more faith to believe that than intelligent design. Right? And then we, we delve down into the subcellular level of how even the human body works, how it heals itself, how it battles for its own being. And it's incredible how we're made, right? It's incredible. That's information. And blind faith would be to reject that there's a creator, in my humble opinion. And then we look at the Bible and its reliability. And one of the things I didn't hit on two weeks ago, we talked about the reliability of the scriptures. You know, one of the unique things about the scriptures that other religions can't say, you know, a lot of the other religions and their holy books are usually written by one person who had an unverifiable dream. Isn't that interesting? Well, I had a dream and the angel told me and this is what they said. Like, how do I know? Here's the cool thing about the scriptures. It's written by over 40 different authors over different generations in history with verifiable facts. Like we talked about last two weeks ago, some of the authors daring you to ask eyewitnesses to the truth, all pointing to one person, the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's an incredible book. I'm not asking you to check your brain at the door. I'm asking you to look at some facts. And the authors of the scriptures were willing to die when people said, hey, you can denounce what you wrote or we can put you to death. They said, you can put us to death. Hebrews 11 says some of, some of our fathers of faith were sawn in two for what they believed. And then when I consider the influence and in culture and how the word of God has stood the test of time, and when I take all of that into account... And I read this passage of scripture and I'm like, Peter, I look at Jesus and go, where else am I going to go? Because you alone have the words of eternal life. And here's the thing, church, there's going to come a day when good old Sean, you're going to be kicking dirt on him. And he's going to be pushing up daisies and I'm going to get a funeral and you're going to get a funeral. And us is going to get a funeral. There's nothing else that makes sense or gives me hope but the person and work of Jesus Christ. That Jesus says, all who believe in me will have eternal life. That's my hope, is Jesus alone. And there's nowhere else to go that gives you that kind of hope. Your bank account isn't going with you. Your 401k isn't going with you. Your kids ain't even going with you. Your spouse ain't going with you. The only hope that you have is Jesus Christ and that his words are true and that he is the one who gives eternal life. Because John said this in John chapter 20. He says, I've written these things that you might continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that believing in him, you will have life, both abundant life and eternal life by the power of his name. This morning, Jesus is sifting some of you. This morning, as I'm talking, the Spirit of God is taking the Word of God, and He's sifting some of you, and I'm asking the question, where does your faith lie? In you, in your intelligence, in your degree, in your job, in your ability to stand on your own two feet. I want to encourage you, all those things will fail you. They're idols that will leave you broken and in bondage. It is only Jesus Christ that sets you free. Because he alone is the special one, the Messiah, the special one sent from God. And he alone is the one with the power to give life. Both abundant life here on earth, but eternal life. That your life will go on beyond the grave for the glory of God. And if God's doing business on your heart this morning, like Jesus said, that's the work of the Father and the power of the Spirit. And you better take serious doing business with God this morning because that's a great and amazing gift that God loves you so much that he would draw your heart to him. And How dare us push that aside as if that's no big deal. He said what? He's got sons. He's hope. He's eternal life. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to pray for the one in this room this morning that uh, they've gotten tangled up in the mess of the world. They've gotten tangled up in their own sin. They've put their hopes... And things that they now realize, man, it's left me in bondage. And, and this morning, God, as I'm talking, your Spirit's working coupled with the truth of your word, the power of the Spirit, the Heavenly Father's drawing them to the Son of God and awakening a spark of hope this morning, and a spark of life. God, thank you for working in this room to, this morning, God. It's a gift, God, I pray just in these few still and quiet moments that they would would do business with you in a prayer in their heart. They would connect with you in belief, in repentance of sin and belief in your son, Jesus Christ. Because this morning, God, you're sifting us. This morning we repent of our sins, our tempers and our, our lust and our, our disobedience and our harsh words, God, and our pride, God, our filthy pride that we think somehow we know more than you. Repent of the times we've treated our spouse so selfishly, God. Repent of the times we've mocked our parents and have been disobedient, God. God, that's when you cut away all the stuff, that's who we really are. And God, I don't want to go to a place like that. I want to go to a place that's perfect. And my only hope, God, is that you will clothe me in your righteousness. So, God, this morning we bow a knee to Jesus Christ. We agree that the miracles just testified of who he was. He was sent from heaven. We don't ignore that, God. And we run to him for life, eternal life. And we agree with Peter, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of life. You alone are the holy ones sent from God. And we thank you for that hope, God. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. He didn't have to come. He didn't have to die. He did it to submit to your will. God, you did it because you love us. Thank you for that love. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, this is our offering time. If you're a guest with us this morning, we're not after your money you're here this morning and, and you're doing God's sifting you a little bit and you're doing some business with God and, and uh, you'd like to talk to someone or pray to someone we have we always have our prayer team members here in the front row of the service they wear purple shirts man they would they would love nothing more than to visit with you talk to you more about your journey with Christ um, If that's uncomfortable uh, we'd love to talk to you throughout the week you can let us know that on a connect card all right just drop that in offering plate. we'd love to follow up with you and I'll talk to you about what God's doing spiritually in your heart God might be opening your spiritual eyes, just like he did with Nicodemus and the woman at the well and the disciples. Uh, So we're not after your money. This is one of the ways we worship God. And at Coastal, if you'd like to join us tonight, you're certainly welcome. But as a guest, we're just thankful you're here. If you'd fill out the Connect card, we want to send you a thank you card for coming. And uh, man, our biggest goal is to introduce you to the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ, that you might have both abundant life and eternal life. That's our hope and prayer for you. Thanks for being here, Joey. We'll be right back. back.